Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to the Muslim Matters Podcast, where we discuss everything under the sun that affects Muslims, such as faith, local and global politics, social media, sex education, civil rights, and family matters, all coming from a traditional Orthodox perspective. Subscribe to our podcast and follow us online on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram on our handle, Muslim Matters. And check out our site daily at muslimmatters.org. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, and welcome to the Muslim Matters Podcast. I am your host, Zainab bint Yunus. Today's episode is part one of the Happily Ever After mini-series, which will be focused on all things Muslims and marriage. We have two guests today, Sheikh Hassan Muhyiddin and Sheikh Abdullah Misra. Sheikh Hassan is a licensed professional counselor working as a therapist at Khalil Center and an instructor at the Ribat Academic Institute. She holds a master's in arts from Northeastern Illinois University in counselor education, specializing in marital and family therapy. Sana's experiences range from working with couples, families, individuals, and adolescents. Sheikha Sana also holds ijazat, permission to teach, in various Islamic sciences, including hadith, fiqh, tafsir, and Arabic. Sheikh Abdullah Anik Misra was born in Toronto, Canada. He hails from an Indian background and was raised in the Hindu tradition. He embraced Islam in 2001 and then traveled overseas in 2005 to study the Arabic language and Islamic sciences in Tarim, Yemen for some time, as well as Dar al-Ulum in Trinidad, West Indies, and went on to spend 12 years studying in Jordan as well. He holds a BA in Islamic studies, Alimiyah, and has completed one year of specialized training in issuing Islamic legal verdicts, ifta. He also holds a certificate in counseling and often works with new Muslims and those struggling with religious obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD, with the organization Canadian Muslim Counseling. He is also the author of the Sira song. Sheikh Hassan and Sheikh Abdullah, welcome to the show. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so the holistic Muslim marriage, what does it look like? The Muslim marriage crisis, it's a term that's been thrown around for years now. It only intensifies as time goes on. And in the West, it seems as if Muslim men and women, they're desperate to get married, but they're also constantly finding themselves up against multiple obstacles, whether it's from within themselves or from outside. There's family and cultural expectations. There's gender war discussions. There's colored perspectives of what the other side is all about. Uh, And then there's just not knowing what an Islamic marriage is supposed to look like in the first place. So, Shaksan, I'm going to throw the first question at you. Um, How would you describe the core foundation of what a healthy, holistic Muslim marriage looks like? Um, So, I think that that is a really interesting question because the answer is that I don't think there is one healthy, holistic Muslim marriage. I think there can be many, many different ways that a marriage can look and it can still be healthy. Um, I see this in my work with couples is that there's not one way to do things. And as long as both of you are happy and have talked about it and feel like you've communicated clearly and have compromised, then it works for you. Um, In the end, we do have, I guess, overarching principles like who is the emir and what rules look like within the house but even that can look differently for every single marriage so as long as the relationship has mutual consent as long as everybody has felt like they've got their sides heard i think anything can really work that's a really flexible answer and i'm sure a lot of people are gonna feel like oh my god this isn't what i was told (laughs) Um, but i'm really glad you brought it up um and sheikh abdallah same question back at you. How would you describe the core foundation of what a healthy, holistic Muslim marriage looks like? I think the, the core foundation of a, of a Muslim, healthy Muslim marriage is respect. Um, you know, you have Muslim marriages which have different degrees of, of religious religiosity in the marriage, or maybe one spouse is more religious than the other. So oftentimes people think it, it's Muslim marriage, so it must be, there must be, necessarily like the ritual component is the strongest or the religious component but that couldn't go up and down it's very important of course in the individual lives of people Um, but i think once you have respect there uh that's the most important thing and respect is part of islam respect for the for each other but we sometimes overlook that for something kind of a little more um a little more concrete when it comes to muslim marriage and i think just in general muslim marriage is a reflection of the normal institution of marriage that's been known around the world, you know, for since time immemorial. Uh, and that's why I think respect is the one thing that is universal in marriage in general. 
I'm really glad, glad that you brought up that element of respect because, um, I mean, as you said, it is part of any relationship universally, Muslim, not Muslim, uh, whatever it may be. Uh, but then bringing up what respect looks like in a concrete way, that's going to come up afterwards. And I want to touch back on that afterwards, inshallah, because a lot of Muslims will be like, well, how respect plays out or what it looks like can be very different, right? Um, so that's that's a great point that you make and one that I want us to delve into a little bit further afterwards, inshallah. Uh, Sheikh Hassana, what do you think many Muslims, especially younger Muslims looking to get married today, tend to overlook or not know about the rights and responsibilities of an Islamic marriage? Because this is huge. This is always coming out um, where you have young Muslims being like, I want to get married. But then you ask them uh, like what their expectations are or you ask them, like, what do you think marriage is and Islamic marriage is? And you get like this really wide range of answers anywhere from, you know, the super duper, almost unrealistic, hyper conservative orthodox to a very vague I don't know, something Muslim-y, but what does that even mean? And might be a little more cultural than anything else. So just based on your experience, your insights, what do you think they're they're missing out on right now? Um, so I think that when it comes to, I mean, what I always tell couples, if they've started talking about rights and responsibilities, like what their Islamic rights are, then I think they're in really deep trouble. Um, of course, our core, our base foundation of rights and responsibilities is important to know. Um, but if that is where the conversation has led to in their relationship, I think that they're in a scary place. When we enter our relationships, what I've noticed with the couples I'm working with now, especially the younger ones, I have a wide range of ages that I've worked with, is that, um, well, even with all the couples, not even the ones getting married now, is it's so important when they're first getting married to know what they want. And I don't think many people delve into that. Like, what do you want your marriage to look like? Have you asked your potential spouse what they want it to look like? I don't think the conversations around that happen enough um, about do you, are you okay with me working? Like, how are things going to look in the house? Like, what did I grow up with that I thought was normal that maybe is not what you grew up with and what you don't think is normal? Can we talk about that and kind of come to an understanding, I think, when we first start getting looking to get married or we, you know, fall in love or fall the person, find the person that we want to marry, we get so caught up on them as an individual and not the system that they come from. So it's really important to look at the system. And what I mean, what I mean by systems is we all come from different systems, like our, our immediate family, our extended family, our school family, our friends, all of these different systems from which we derive what is what we think is quote unquote normal. And looking at a person and looking at their system is so important. And then looking at ourselves and looking at our system is so important. Even if we're from the center, the same village, the same, maybe even we're related, our parents are related somehow, our family systems are still really different. Um, and so examining that and saying, is there compatibility here? We get often, I'm not going to like draw, paint everyone with the same brush, but often we get really caught up in the, the love aspect. And we don't really think about it logically. Um, and for us, logic plays a big part in this too. Like, yes, love is important. Yes, um, attraction is important. But also, can this work with the way our families work? And even if our families are different, it doesn't matter. Um, as long as we come to an understanding, as long as the couple comes to an understanding of like, well, within our household, this is how it's going to look like. So, of course, like knowing, you know, Knowing the foundations of your deen are so important and knowing the foundations of what your your rights and your responsibilities and what your ob obligations are is also really important. And I think for the most part, like we do that because we're a knowledgeable community. We we like to learn for the most part, um, but then also knowing yourself and checking yourself and checking what what are the reasons that you're getting married for. Those are all really important things to think about, too. I like the phrase that you use, the systems that we come from, because you're right. That's definitely something that we don't really consider. Um, and we just, especially for religious people, I want to say, or those who identify as religious, we kind of assume, oh, I'm a religious Muslim. You're a religious Muslim. That's all there really is to it. But as you said, we come from different backgrounds of what religious looks like to us, or we come from different backgrounds of what 
even quote unquote Islamic gender roles might look like um, and what we consider normal or healthy in a marriage and a relationship in terms of personal dynamics. I know that things like conflict resolution are very rarely considered, but turn out to be a massive part of relationships and how relationships function. Uh, so those are, yeah, those are some really great points that you brought up. Uh, switching over to you, Sheikh Abdullah, same question. What do you find that so many Muslims today are, you know, when they're looking to get married, what they're kind of oblivious to and or what they don't know about, quote unquote, the Islamic marriage and rights and responsibilities involved? Yeah, I think I think to be honest, I'm, I'm as I started to counsel marital couples and, and myself being married and, uh, you know, for many years, alhamdulillah, I've just noticed that the entire discourse of rights and responsibilities, it can, there's so much uh, kind of divergence, uh, selective uh, interpretation, cultural influence on that idea that it actually creates sometimes the discourse itself uh, can tend to create some disagreement among couples. I think um, the minute you start th- uh, theorizing uh, and this often happens coming from outside of a marriage, or it's like something it's a, it's 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 something that you bring into a marriage, uh, like a, almost like a a preconceived notion of something. So I agree with uh, uh, Sheikh Hassana that you know we should be this should be discussed between couples. Uh, it should be facilitated um, because the thing is, it's not about rights and responsibilities. It is rights and responsibilities, but it's more about give and take as well. If that's not part of your Islamic ethos within a marriage because the point is to make it work and that's what people forget they say no i want my rights and responsibilities and what they don't realize is they're usually selective themselves about how they apply that to themselves and very very uh very complete when they apply that to the other person or there may be everyone has a different negotiation between our islamic rights and responsibilities and what i want out of life or my lifestyle or my understanding culturally and so what ends up happening is um, they don't realize this. it's actually about a give and take where if you don't if you don't uh, try to theorize and you look at what you really can do and what you can get along with um, uh, through a give and take, I think that would be that's almost like a better model to see how marriages are working. Really, really valid over there about how this discourse ends up influencing people's perspectives. Um, and I did want to talk about that a little bit because these discussions constantly flying around right like we have all these like muslim marriage lectures but then you've got so much going on in terms of social media um whether it's quote-unquote influencers or online days or again like just even scholars will jump in on social media and and write posts about gender and gender roles and specifically marriage and um what they think is the cause of marital conflict. You see a lot, especially these days, being like, oh, things like um, the influence of secularism or feminism or liberalism and how this is destroying the Muslim family. Uh, And I personally feel that sometimes there's like a, not a romanticization of what Muslim marriages have looked like historically, but maybe a little bit of romanticization, um, a little bit of idealism, um, maybe some obliviousness, because no matter how traditional you want to talk, humans are going to be humans, right? No matter what period of time we're referring to, even the time of the Sahaba, they had marital conflicts, right? They had different perspectives. You had the the Muslims of the Muhajirin and their particular ideas about um, even, again, things like gender roles and the people of the Ansar. And you have, of course, the famous saying of Umar ibn Khattab, being like, you know, in Mecca, we, the men, had the upper hand. We came to Medina and the women had the upper hand. And this was a source of tension uh, when there was intermarriage going on. Would either of you like to comment on that a little bit more? I, I was just going to say that I think, again, it's just what you're saying kind of pushes that point even further is that every place and every time and every family looks different. Um, and what's the most important is communication about like what works for us and what doesn't, even within and I think you said this, um, Zainab, but even within religious households, quote unquote religious or practicing households, they can look different um, about who makes the decisions or who does the housework. Uh, so again, what's most important is communicating about that. Like, am I okay with this or am I not? Um, there's a lot, like you said, of discourse around what is causing the 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 downfall of Muslim families or whatever, however it's phrased now. Um, but uh, 
there's lots of factors and what's important is that communication piece talking about it Sheikh Abdullah your thoughts on this yeah so I think I think that I I'm going to take this in a slightly different direction but I think uh you know anyone who does marital counseling or looks into the the Muslim community and, and state of marriages can understand that this the state of marriage or the understanding of marriage is in flux in our community one of the things we have to remember is that in the previous generations of Muslims uh you know especially in back in the eastern lands uh, of the Muslim lands you didn't have to explain like this is my your right and responsibility in every single situation of marriage people got married and they kind of knew culturally because cultures and societies were structured in a way that the appropriate gender roles would play out in a marriage right it was just kind of understood and so you didn't need to necessarily you know have lectures about uh rights and responsibilities or or gender roles for 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 example um because there was a certain set understanding. What's happened now is that we've come into, you know, in this kind of in modernity, especially in the West, namely, um, that takes a certain type of buy-in because there's a vacuum now of those types of expectations in relationships. There's a vacuum now in terms of the general society. So everyone's walking in now with a, a vague idea from their parents' generation about how they think it should be. And that was already changing. And then you also have this idea of a very theoretical, as you said, like the lectures and the books and the articles about, you know, how it should be coming from different voices. So now there's no real cultural context and the needs of what a culture and society shapes uh, in marriage. And this is why what we're seeing is we're seeing a kind of a gap in how to settle and decide. So I've been a non-Muslim, you know, I grew up as a non-Muslim in, from an Eastern culture. And I saw, generally speaking, that uh, in that situation, nobody talks about rights and responsibilities. It's just that people kind of fall in, especially even even my age, people my age now who are in, like non-Muslims who are in marriages, let's say from the Indian community, you kind of jump into certain roles and then you kind of, um, you find that perfect harmonious balance. Uh, and it still ends up being quite traditional, you know, like much more traditional than a, a modern Western liberal marriage. But I think what ends up happening is when we start bringing the theory of it in, then people start expecting things that the other person was not expecting or they, they did not agree with it. And this is actually what's causing that bit of a gap, um, the, the, a discourse of expectations, uh, whereas that's not necessarily how the society is forcing or shaping it. Uh, so it's like a vacuum. So you're saying there's been more of a script um, within a particular quote-unquote traditional cultures, whether they're Muslim or not Muslim. So I guess my, not my question, but just to venture the thought out, um, is this really about, you know, again, rights and responsibilities? Is it just a matter of us living in a society where it is multicultural? Like even as Muslims, we are intermarrying. We are coming from... Uh, we are influenced by backgrounds that may be, you know, ethnically the same. But, you know, if you're uh, two generations in versus a fresh immigrant or even just like one uh, one generation in from an immigrant background uh, versus being, you know, indigenous African-American Muslim or indigenous like First Nations Muslim or any other kind of background, that's going to create all those different complex layers, like even more complicated in intertwined systems as uh, Sheikh Hassana mentioned. Uh, Sheikh Hassana, what do you think about this? Um, sorry, yeah, I think uh, I think that it's so complicated uh, here in the States, just like Sheikh Abdullah was saying, because there's so many different people coming to meet here. Um, America, Canada, it's the same thing. So you can have, just like you were saying, somebody who maybe had immigrant parents as opposed to somebody who has, whose family has been here for two generations. And I actually have seen couples like that and their understanding of, of what their roles are are so different. Um, maybe they came in with different expectations. Um, and it is important to boil it down to what are you looking for and what do you need? And sometimes we'll have to bring in, okay, well, what does Islam say here? But often, you know, even if we say, what does Islam say here in, in your marriage, maybe about who is going to be doing the housework or who is 
who's financially responsible or not even that nitty gritty, but just in your ability to have a conversation that the Islamic directive is not as clear. It's just, you need to work this out and figure it out about what works for you. So although I do agree with you, Sheikh Abdullah, like it is more complicated here. And we are unfortunately having to have these conversations that maybe other couples didn't. I also think it's really important that we are um, because what we saw, I mean, Full disclosure, what I saw in relationships growing up with my parents who were immigrants and my huge family is there wasn't a lot of communication. It was just very clear expectations of this is how it's going to work. And maybe it wasn't working for one person, but they felt like they couldn't speak up about it. Um, so I like that we're having these conversations. Um, they just maybe need to happen in a healthier way. You brought up where situations where the Islamic directive isn't that clear. And that's a really, really good point because it goes back to um, what Sheikh Abdullah had mentioned as well about people who may, you know, selectively choose what they want of the quote unquote Islamic rights and obligations paradigm um, because fiqh isn't necessarily that clear cut. Like we have, as you mentioned as well, Sheikh Hassan, you know, certain guiding principles in terms of like leadership, but then you have issues like, oh, well, who's supposed to do the housework? And then in one culture, it might be like, oh, well, obviously the woman's going to do it. But then somebody else can volley back and be like, well, actually, according to XYZ Medhub, I don't have to do it. You have to provide a cleaner. For me. And we see these discussions happening now. And it's very odd to me because um, it's, it's, like overlapping or drawing upon multiple different narratives is the oh traditionally this but what does traditional mean is it like traditionally in my family culture is it traditional in my ethnic culture is it traditional in my socioeconomic culture and all of that plays a role even in fiqh right like the the role that arf plays the role that status plays however it might be um then you've got oh but is this what this particular madhab says and which opinion from this madhab? And you have people, like I said, who will say like, oh, well, you know, legally speaking from this perspective, I don't have to do this. I don't have to do whatever it might be. And this goes both ways, whether it's, um, you know, maybe women being like, I don't have to, I don't have to cook. I don't have to clean. Or you have men being like, well, I don't have to provide for you more than the bare minimum. And it does end up in this really messy discourse and discussion and there's this claim oh we're just going back to islam we're just going back to the fiqh but then it's it's messy and it is bringing in the personal it is bringing in personal baggage or cultural baggage whatever it might be uh, what are your takes on this i guess i'll let you go ahead with this first i'm just curious to see what your pers- your perspective is on this sorry can you just repeat the rephrase the, the last part of the question again just your thoughts or your take on how people will, as you had mentioned, cherry picking from the rights and responsibilities um, and they'll claim, oh, this is what Islam says. But then you do have so many variations and nuances in terms of even fiqhi opinions. You, we have guiding principles, but then you have a different madahib with different uh different opinions that apply in different contexts or situations and then you have people trying to apply that in our i don't say it's anachronistically apply that to our day and age but kind of yeah there there are different opinions and different attitudes towards things like for example housework is a big one that comes up uh the, the the idea of obedience the idea of um submitting to each other the services that you provide for each other um the, the leadership in the home all these things often go back to a mix of uh culture and custom and that does play a role in fiqh and the other thing you mentioned that uh that actually does also play a role is social class plays a role as well that we don't like to talk about you know in in modern western um you know kind of the context but somebody who was who was from a family that maybe back home had servants and they they never had to do any housework so they never saw that being done you know let's say uh you know traditionally being done and another person who grew up and uh, they were from a, a, a culture where it was shared you know in the home there was there were no servants that's going to play out in their expectation of how um of how things should be and then what happens is you try to read that attitude often back and same thing goes with the with a kind of a modern western liberal attitude whatever attitudes that you think are normal and right for you. And generally humans are self-serving. So you try to read that back into the voices that are speaking 
religiously because that's religion is what gives you meaning. And so you tend to find the voice that supports the way that you feel is normal for you. Then those voices kind of come head to head and you say, oh, this is a traditional religious voice. This is like a more uh, kind of a modern religious voice. And so there is that there are those different interpretations and, and different styles, which is why it all in the end, it goes back to a negotiation. And then the other final thing uh, point about this is that is it always really about the fit of things and the rules? Because you could say this is a rule and you can show somebody in a book. This is the rule. If they don't want to live by that, you're going to have a problem. You, and they're always, whenever you put rules on everyone as, as the sole arbiter of what you should do, that often serves one type of person's mentality and not the others. Because there are always selective things in our lives. We're not perfect people, right? So we're not all following every single rule that we should. That's generally how people live. And so they may be really good on this thing, but on the other thing, they make a kind of a dispensation for themselves. So that's where it becomes like, well, where do you make that exception for yourself and expect, uh, you know, expect something from someone from, from the other side? And that's why there are these, uh, these inconsistencies that we have with each other. Uh, that's what actually, I think, causes a lot of that conflict. For sure, for sure. Shaksana, how do you see it playing out? Oh, 100%. I agree with Sheikh Abdullah that it becomes a really, um, unfortunately, in areas of conflict in relationships, it becomes a self-serving thing. So what do I want to work better for me? Um, and then I'm going to pick the opinion or, or, or push the point that I feel like works the best. Um, and it's, it happens a lot, right? And also, I think it also comes from sometimes a place of really just not knowing. And that goes back to my first point of knowing yourself, knowing what you want, knowing what your, what your expectations are and the system that you come from. Because often our expectations stem from that, either from the place of this is how I want things to be or I don't want to be like that at all. And that pushes our um, our actions when we get married, right? So if I grew up in a household where, for example, my parents fought every time we took a trip, right? So we would take vacations and I mean, Abu would fight all the time. When it's time for me to get married, I'm going to be like, I don't like to travel. I don't want to travel because people always fight when they travel. And that had nothing to do with what reality, that's just your reality. Right? And so then that affects your decision-making within your marriage. And that's just a really small, sometimes inconsequential, it depends who you're talking to, example. But that plays out in everything, right? So if I grew up in a household where everybody was fighting all the time, that's going to affect the way that I am in my relationship. And if I grew up in a household where it was really happy and everyone got along and we were, for the most part, pretty peaceful, that's also going to affect the way that I'm in a relationship and how I see things. And when we get older, we don't look at things that way. We we just think again like that's normal and we then think that we're making decisions in the light of islam or what what religion says but we're really not and that's where counseling comes in or that's why just that's it doesn't have to therapist i'm not going to say that therapy is for everyone but talking to somebody who can give you a third uh a third party objective perspective will help i do think therapists are the best option but it doesn't always work i'm not going to say it always works so yeah, that's what that's my perspective on that. So it sounds like both of you are saying that to a large extent, all these discussions that are being had about mar- Muslim marriage and what what's it supposed to look like, and you know who's supposed to do what and how, and what does quote unquote Islam say about it, it's less about what Islam says about it than it is about the people involved and the background that they're coming from and what they're expectations are personally and what they're projecting as again quote-unquote islamic marriage ideals would you guys agree with that definitely i think that i think that's uh, yeah a yeah good summary. all right so then we're going to jump to a few more specific questions um so Sheikh Hassana, what do you think muslim women need to know most about marriage before they even start looking to get married because there's always like you know when you're when you're looking to get married, there's, there's one thing. But what would you say even before they start looking to get married, um, but they hope to in the future, for example, what what is it that they really need to know? So I don't know if there's one blanket answer to this because people are so different for the most part. But again, I think it's really important to know yourself 
and I know that sounds so cliche and like Hallmark card type thing, but really just to know what do I want? Um, what do I value? What do I want the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years to look like? Um, those are really important things to ask yourself. Also to ask yourself what you think is normal, right? Like what did I grow up with and what do I think is normal that maybe is might look different in other places. But also working really hard, it's so important to be flexible in a marriage. So working hard on the idea of compromising and being flexible and where are where are my boundaries? Like where are things that I can't bend on and where are things that I'm willing to be flexible. So just doing that whole self-exploration is really important. And again, it's really important for everyone to know their DNA. Like we just have an epidemic of us not knowing the basics of our DNA. I'm not even talking about rights and religion, rights and responsibilities in marriage. I'm talking about being in general. Just knowing your basic core DNA is important when you go into marriage. I like that you brought up the whole know yourself. And you're right. It does sound kind of cliche, but... It's also one of the things that people neglect the most. And almost, I feel like Muslims in particular feel like, oh, that's not really important. What is this? <laughs> what is this silliness? Um, all I need to know is what the fifth book says or what, whatever the, that Muslim marriage book that I picked up says, right? That's all I need. Um, and I do like that you brought up like the flexibility element because there's, I think to some extent it's understandable how after you know, decades and decades of whether it's like cultural, quote unquote, Muslim, but a lot of Eastern, I suppose, cultural expectations where a wife just gives up everything for the sake of the husband, for the sake of the marriage. And then there's like pushback to the opposite extreme where I will never compromise on anything now because it is a fear of being taken advantage of. And I completely relate to that fear, to be honest. Um, but then, yeah, like you said, like that compromise and that flexibility still has to be there. And I think something very important for so many women to keep in mind, and I would say even myself, and I've been married, alhamdulillah, like almost nine years now, but still keeping in mind that it is possible to be flexible and compromising while, as you mentioned, Shahsana, like knowing what your ultimate boundaries are so that you can allay that fear of being taken advantage of so that you can have a place where you're like hold on a second like this is too far but like anything before that is okay to to adjust and to compromise and and to um and to adapt to uh, and i think that balance is is really missing in a lot of the discussions uh with muslim women in particular like i said because there is so much fear of what we may have witnessed from as you said, family members from our own parents, uh, the, the scripts that we've been given that might have seemed very convenient on one side because at least everybody knows what they're doing, but then it's traumatizing in another because it leaves you with this feeling that I have no options, I have no voice, I can never express myself or communicate my wants and needs, um, and I can't ever disagree with anything. So just that healthy, that point about healthy balance and compromise while knowing your boundaries is really important, I think. For sure, yeah. Uh, Sheikh Abdullah, so flipping back to you, what do you think Muslim men need to know most about marriage before they start looking to get married? And I'm curious to see, like, I'm a woman, so I have, like, obviously the female experience and knowledge of those female fears, but on, on the guy's side, what's going on over there? Yeah, so just to, just before I say that, I'll preface this with the fact that I'm not, so I'm speaking from my perspective, I'm speaking for someone who's been married for, you know, for, for uh, over 20 years. And uh, I've seen different uh, phases of my marriage. We've lived in different cultures, in different modes of marriage, you know, whether it's like, you know, tradition, very traditional or like a blend. Um, so I've seen different things. And when, when I speak to young men today who are not married, I think the one thing they need to remember is that their wives are not going to be like their mothers were to, to, the, to their sons. And that's the most important thing. And I know it sounds funny, right? But in the beginning, what happens is there, there is, I feel like there's a kind of a, you know, a normal type of a romance and a type of a, like a really, you're really uh, understanding and flexible. And then later on, what happens is people start settling into roles as they grow older and as they mature. And then oftentimes what I've noticed is that the guys start flipping back to what they know to be, uh, 
the way that you're supposed to be in marriage because the way that they saw their mom and their dad. So oftentimes, if you're from certain cultures um, and certain families, then they'll say, well, this is what I think, this is what my mom did for my dad, let's say, right? So I'm expecting as I grow older and as I'm kind of, I get tired of the whole Western romance thing, you know, that I want it to go traditional now. And then what happens is, and the woman is, is often not thinking like that at all. She's like, I'm not trying to become like my mom here. I'm trying to, I'm trying to become something else. Sometimes that happens too. And so I think a lot, and that causes a lot of issues. So what I would tell young men is that you have to remember that this is a, this is another person with their own ideas, their own thoughts about how things should be done and how they want to be treated. So it, you have to know that it's going to be a negotiation from the get go. If you just come in thinking like, this is how I know it to be. This is how my, you know, how I've understood it from my culture. This is how all my friends say I need to be as a husband. If you have that, it's so concrete in your mind that you're not flexible. You're, you're headed for a difficult time, you know, except unless your wife is on the, on completely the same page as you, that's different. But oftentimes that's not the case. And so it's really about how you navigate that difference of opinion when it comes up and that conflict. And the other thing that I think they need to know before getting married is understanding, as Sheikh Hassana was saying, about basic understanding of deen, is that unfortunately in our community, we don't, unfortunately, we have not started to start, we have not seen good character as the basis of deen. So there are many other things that they interpret as being religious or deen. And uh, of course, deen is many things, right? But good behavior, just, just basic, decent behavior, sometimes starts to go out the window for some men when things don't start going their way. And I think that's what actually heads their marriage rocks far more than any type of disagreement about, you know, roles is how do you respond to that conflict? How do you, how do you, so I think that um, just knowing, even before you start to get married, you need to know that good character is, is, uh, is an aspect of your deen that's very important. And also knowing that this is an individual person who is not necessarily going to be fit a prototype or a mold that you have in your mind. You have to negotiate with it. I really like those points you made. Yeah, go ahead, Shahsana. I was saying I'm, I'm laughing because um, my husband recently told me this, that I he feels like there has to come a point when um, you accept yourself for who they are and you stop trying to ask them or try to demand or force them to live with an ideal that you had in your head, but instead who they really are right now. Um, and often when he and his role as imam or religious leader or whatever he does and his his conversations with men, he says that a lot, like, bro, you just gotta accept her. This is who she is, right? And not in a bad way, but love her for who she is and not try to make her into someone else. Um, so yeah. I'm really glad that you both brought that point up because you're right, this whole thing of accepting your spouse for who they are. And I, I'd say honestly, it goes the other way too, right? With wives and their husbands. Um, because it's all those unspoken, uncommunicated expectations that can cause so much dissatisfaction. And I'm really glad you mentioned, Sheikh Abdullah, about the conflict resolution. Like when times are tough, how are you going to react, right? Because it's about both good character and having the appropriate skills to handle that tension. I'd say that was definitely probably one of my big marital learning curves because what we assume to be the normal way of handling conflict can often be a very unhealthy way of handling conflict. And then when we try to claim that it's somehow religious, like I'll give an example um, that I've heard from too many uh, situations, you know, the whole, uh, you can only cut off your brother or sister and son for three days, right? But then that would be taken as, oh, I'm going to give my spouse the cold shoulder for three days because I don't like something they did. And I was like, wait a second, that's all, that's kind of messed up. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen that. I've seen actually, unfortunately, somebody being told by an imam that that's how you have to do it. And that that leads to huge issues in marriages. So that's another thing is like a kind of cut and paste uh, onto people's real life situation. Um you know, it's, 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 it's not a very healthy mentality to get into. And a lot of times when that literalism starts to come in and we don't realize that the sunnah of good character, it, it actually adds life to the principles that we have. And you're far more likely to get somebody to do what you want them to do or behave in a way that you want them to behave when there's good character. It's not all compromise. So people think it's all giving up. It's not that case. It's about winning a person's heart to agreeably live the life that you want to live, right? But once you retreat back into 
into the letter uh, of the law, then you immediately start to uh, you start to take sides and dig trenches, and that that alienates people. No, oh, yeah, hundred percent. And part of what we do in our premarital education um, at, through Philil Center is talk about conflict resolution and really break it down. Like this is what you should do in a fight, and this is what you absolutely should not do in a fight, um, and help them to maybe relearn uh, ways of conflict that they learned growing up, and come up with a a plan together of how it would look if they have conflict in their marriage um, moving forward, which we all do, right? So it's also normalizing that, that if you fight, it doesn't mean the end of your marriage, but this is how you fight properly. And this is how you, you know, get to a conclusion and not just ignore each other. And then also talking about things that are just really detrimental to your marriage. For example, stonewalling, which is what that is, right? Not talking to someone for three days that's so emotionally just harmful. Um, and talking about how bad that can be can also just help. Giving that indica- education to them can also just help. Those are such great points, Jazakumakhir. Um, Abdullah, what have you noticed are particular challenges for Muslim men looking to get married today? Because, again, we see it all the time on social media that there will be all these complaints. like Everything from like ridiculous expectations from Mahar to, oh my God, uh, this, that, or the other. Just, you know, sometimes it's ridiculous things and sometimes it is... Uh, valid points, um, whether it's unrealistic cultural expectations, I'm supposed to be making 100k a month or something insane like that. Um, But really, really, in terms of, again, your experiences, just general themes, whether it's uh, things like financial expectations or cultural expectations or, or something entirely different, what are or like even between Muslim men, what do you think are those challenges that they have? Yeah, I mean, it's it's strange because we're living in times where I know a lot of single people, but none of them want to marry each other. You know, it should be so easy if you could just connect, you know, on the male side and female side, just connect them all together. All right, great. You've got a spouse. Hey, do you know anybody to get married to? It's like, yeah, but you wouldn't want to get married to any of them because I know how you think. And this is part of what's happening, which you have a lot of single people. They all have very, very unique uh, combinations of what they want. And so I think part of the challenges for, for men are, um, you know, the, the, the expectations of who they should be are extremely high because uh, women are a lot more accomplished in our time now than before. And they're not just going to be introduced to somebody like, like your family's not just going to bring you a bride. So the expectations on men are a lot more, I think, to prove yourself as kind of a, a worthy, uh, you know, uh, candidate. And I think I've noticed a lot of young men kind of kind of struggling with that. Like, how do you make yourself stand out? How do you make yourself uh, how do you make yourself the one that's, you know, uh, kind of qualified enough, making enough money? Um, and so there, there, there are those aspects and the other thing that the particular challenge is the kind of expectations they have um you know because these days we're exposed to so many things on social media and on the screens um that we often we often look they're looking for a woman that is very rare or it's like you know one in a hundred you know uh and so then when you say what about this sister what about that sister oh no she's she's too old oh no it's like this it's like that you know there's this issue that issue and so there this type of like comparison where only the best things are showcased in our society in modern times and then you look around at the normal world and it's just not like that so i think it's going on both sides men and uh, for men and women and i think that a lot of men um those are type of those are those are the challenges they're facing is just being able to find someone who will like them and that they will accept uh, given how high standards are today. I think that's one of the big problems. So I'm curious about those high standards in particular. Like, what are some common themes of what those high standards are? And I, I ask this because, like you mentioned, oh, how do they make themselves stand out? And it really starts sounding like applying to a, a really high-level corporate job, right? Like, what's on your resume? What makes it different? Um, and so is it that people aren't really thinking about the person that they're hoping to marry and just reducing them to literally like a, a business resume? Do you think that's it? Well, I th- yeah, I think that, uh, I think that's a big part of it is that, you know, we are, we're looking, Oh, it goes both ways actually. So sometimes, yes, it sounds like you're applying to like an elite college or like a, a you know, a big corporate job or something. Uh, that could be one of the, uh, the hurdles. Um, but then there's also the idea. So 
it, it kind of really goes both ways. I think it could be sometimes people want this exact type of prototype where they want a girl who's going to, I mean, the kind of guys that I would fraternize with, you know, younger guys who come ask me for advice, religious men. Oh, I want a, a girl who's going to drop everything, go study with me overseas. Right. And you may not be able to find the exact mix. And she has to look like this, be this age, accept this kind of financial, you know, situation. Right. So there's a lot of, there are a lot of restrictions that you bring to the situation, which kind of narrow the pool down for you quite a bit. And then also, when you're tr- then if you, even if you drop all of those things, it's still like, okay, well, are you per- performing at a certain financial level? And, you know, when you're young and you've just gotten out of college or university, it's not, you won't necessarily be at that level. Right. And then you've got from the male side, it's like, well, um, uh, if she's a little bit older, then no, if she's been married before, then no, if this, then no. Um, so I think, I think these, um, these restrictions are really, uh, the priority is not like, getting married the priority is finding the one and that in if you're just looking for the one and let's like look finding a needle in a haystack for some people yeah that that definitely sounds like people are making lives difficult for themselves in that sense shokasana from the female perspective what do you think is going on over there like what are the challenges muslim women are facing um do you agree or disagree with sheikh abdullah in terms of like these high standards or the expectations that are uh flying around what's your take it's so interesting because I agree with Sheikh Abdullah. Like I can see that happening for sure. But also from the, the female perspective, I just feel like most of the women that I talk to that aren't married, who are looking to get married, whether in their 20s or in their 40s or older, they're just like, there's no good guys out there. Because I don't know if that's just, um, again, their expectations are too high. But then I also hear their experiences, whether on the, you know, the marriage apps, or, or however they're, you know, trying to find people is that most of the guys are just not serious. They are looking for, they're looking to mess around. They're looking, you know, to be quite frank, to hook up or something and not looking to get married. It's so hard to find a guy that's willing to take this seriously um, and talk about marriage and, and be, I guess, um, appropriate in that whole conversation. Um, so that's one side of it. And then I do see also that the ethics again you know from another perspective the expectations are just really high they're taking i don't know things like risk and um other and everything out of it and thinking that we can control the whole thing from beginning to end just by getting married to the right person and not recognizing that you can marry somebody and you know now that the next day something could happen right and you know my own personal life my husband and i when we got married 20 years ago well Three months later, he got in a really bad accident and almost died. And we were 20 years old. Like, who would have expected that? Wow. Everybody was blown away. I was like, what? He was in the hospital. He was in the ICU for a month. And he almost didn't survive. And it was just, you know, you can't control things. You just have to find someone that, you know, has certain values or who lives their life in a certain way or has a certain potential maybe. And then say bismillah and, and, you know, move forward. And I remember, you know, my parents' faces. Like they were, I was 20 years old. I had no idea what was going on. And my parents were just like, what is going on? Right? We just got our daughter married. We just sent her away. And now she's going to be a widow at 20 years old. Um, but alhamdulillah, he survived and everything has been fine since then. But, you know, you just, you can't control. You and we feel like we have to, con- we can control everything just by choosing the right person right now. Um, and I think that really gets in our way. That's a really interesting point you made about the Qadr element because, yeah, you're absolutely right. You could be marrying somebody who's got an amazing, incredible job, whatever. But, yeah, you know, they lose their job. They lose their health. Like, these things happen and are we prepared to be committed to that person anyways? Um, and that point that you made about there's no good guys, like, I find that very interesting because how are we defining good guys? Where are we looking for them? Um, and... I, I, because I hear something similar from a lot of guys who they'll be like, oh, every hijabi I know of, and she's on campus and she's flirting with guys. And, you know, how can I trust that any of these women are decent? And it's to me, it's very jarring because like, OK, there's always been gender wars. I get it. Um, and there's always kind of I don't say suspicion, but a little bit. Um, but it's getting so much worse to the extent where people are actually actively doubting the honesty and the chastity of people that they're potentially talking to for marriage that to me is one of the most disturbing uh changes that i've seen over the years like literally i have seen men be like yeah i don't care if she says she's a virgin 
she probably isn't because Muslim women in the West today aren't, you know. And wow. then on the flip side, I will wow. see. Um, but here, okay, I, I'm biased. <laughs> I, I will admit I'm very biased because then I'll see, you know, sisters be like, this guy literally had like five girlfriends before, but he's got these really bizarre expectations of me. Um, what's going on there? And we do know in many communities, at least in my community, especially within like the early 2000s, uh, lots of overseas brothers would come over to study and you would literally see them in the streets with their non-Muslim girlfriends. And you're just like, what the fudge is going on here? <laughs> and then you do wonder, you're like, how many people are really staying on the straight and narrow? You know, how many people are keeping themselves from marriage? How many people are conducting themselves appropriately regardless? Um, and Rishta stories, again, like because I'm a woman, because I hear stories from friends uh, and acquaintances, you know, some people would be like, yeah, you know, I'm totally willing to compromise on X, Y, Z. This guy seems like a great guy. And then boom, just before the nikah or even after the nikah, which is always the worst, um, this random bomb lands, right? And it's like, oh, turns out he's got an STD. <laughs> oh, turns out he's like super red pill and he like lied through his teeth about whatever whatever and so i understand a lot of the female fears in particular again i totally acknowledge that i'm biased here um, because this is what i'm exposed to and and hearing these stories and seeing these stories um so it just does seem rather grim but i also find it weird like surely there's there's decent guys out there surely they must be so where are they and why are they like are they being priced out or are they pricing themselves out because as Sheikh Abdullah said they've got such unrealistic expectations of their own well can I just jump in I mean I think um I think that there are a lot of good guys out there I mean in defense of my 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 younger friends who are trying to get married and and and, and uh, have had a hard time uh, what's happened is as you said like priced out because there are a lot of good guys out there but um they just feel like they can never measure up sometimes or or get inside the head of, of, of the people who are single and making choices. And this is another issue that um, that we have, that another problem, that there are good guys out there, but um, they are, they are, maybe there's more simple in some other ways, you know? And then the question is, does that make them as attractive or marketable in the, in the wider market? And I think the other thing is, um, is just like, well, what do you want out of life? And that's another very interesting thing that's keeping people from getting married. Many times it's like, uh, I've noticed the guys are like, well, I'm getting married to kind of settle down and uh, enable kind of like my career or I want to settle down, have a family and do these things. Whereas uh, I think sometimes uh, sister, young sisters are like, well, no, that's not my idea of marriage is to kind of like, like settle down and kind of uh, necessarily have kids, have a home. And that's my point. I have other, I have goals. I have things I have to do. And so there is often a mismatch in like, how do you see the trajectory of what marriage is supposed to enable you to do? And sometimes there's a mismatch on that level too. The the way that we're raised in which guys are are allowed to do what they want and um, there's really no, nothing against them, you know, if they, if they get to live freely and then get married. Whereas as women, we have this expectation that we have to live these pious lives from the jump. Um, and then we think that, you know, when we get married, okay, maybe then I can do what I want. Maybe then I can start working or then I can travel or then I can do these things. Um, and that expect that expectation then is just different that I'm looking for marriage as freedom, as the ability to move out and to do what I want to do. And he's looking as marriage as a way to settle down and their perspectives. Are just it different. reminds me of the running DC joke that, I mean, I, I got it too. when I was growing up, you want to do X, Y, Z, wait till you get married. And then your husband, do it with your husband. And then you get married and the husband's like, well, you should have done that while you were with your parents. And you're like, what, what am I supposed to do anything? That's also points though, to the theme that both of you have expressed, which is, yeah, like the way that we're raised and conditioned and, um, and the, the the life trajectory right like as you said Shakasana, so many of us were like we just can't wait to get married because that's supposed to be the beginning of the rest of our lives and we can do all the things we weren't allowed to before whereas you know Sheikh Abdullah with with guys they have that that freedom before marriage to just do whatever and hang out and and do all the fun things and and then they want to settle down and they want to you know move on with that chapter in their lives 
how do you think we can resolve this? Can it be resolved? Because obviously it's like society wide, right? And it, it, I see it across multiple ethnic backgrounds, not just Daisy's, Arabs do it too. Um, so like, it, it's weird because we're, these are the families that are raising both their sons and their daughters, same household with dramatically different standards and expectations for how people can live their lives. And then we expect them to get married and marry each other uh, to, to grow up and get married to each other. But then, you know, like I said, the, there's just totally different expectations there. Um, and then obviously you don't want to marry somebody who's just going to hold you back and limit you the way that you were limited in your parents' house if you're a girl. And if you're a guy, you're like, well, I already did all the fun stuff. I'm over this. Like, I want to move on already, you know. I was just saying, I'm sorry, that I don't, I don't know about the current generation, but I definitely, in the way that I'm raising my children, I have sons and daughters. And there is no double standard. Like everybody is on lockdown. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, everybody has their lives and I have similar expectations of both. So what my sons are doing, my daughters will do too in terms of like daily aspirations or career goals or school. Like there's no difference, right? And I'm just hoping that you know, I've, I've had so much, so many people say to me, um, because alhamdulillah, my older two sons, you know, completed the memorization of the Quran. And it's like, okay, well, now you're focusing on your youngest son who's five years old. And I'm like, wait, I have a daughter who's eight, a daughter who's six. Like, we're focusing on them, right? So, oh, they're so surprised. Like, oh, you're going to have your daughters memorized too? Of course. Why wouldn't I? Like, I want five crowns on the day of judgment, inshallah, not just three, right? Like, I, they're the same, boys and girls. Um, so changing the way that we raise the next generation, I think will help, um, that everybody is the same and inshallah then being very clear about what your marriage will look like too. With the current generation, honestly, I don't know. Maybe Chef Abdullah has ideas. Yeah. You know, it's funny because when you talk to a lot of the imams and stuff who are on the ground, a lot of them are just flabbergasted. Like, I really don't know what's going to happen with marriage coming up. Um, you know, they're at a loss for words. I think, I think uh, having lived, so I'm going to take it from a different angle uh, and then kind of come back to uh, Sheikh Hassan's uh, point, which is I think understanding the culture that you're in is very important. When I lived in the Middle East, we were abroad for 16 years and I, I know my marriage and my own family life, I could shape it, we could shape it in a different way when we were in a different context. And as you come back to a different context, I see my, my, my eldest uh, kids who are teenagers and um, I see how they want to change their mindset, even though, you know, they've seen different cultures because now they're in a new culture back in the West, let's say. So I think it's very important to understand that um, as many of us are from an immigrant um, background, we have to realize that our parents were kind of like an anomaly because they were living one culture in, in another culture. And we are not actually even doing that with ourselves right now as much, you know. And so we have to remember that things are going to be renegotiated. There is a, a great renegotiation that's going to happen in how we live our cultures in, in, a, new, in a new environment um, in that sense. And then how we adjust religiously. How do we adjust that? How do we, how do we negotiate with that? Um, I think definitely I agree with uh, Sheikh Hassana that, you know, we have to... I mean, my eldest are girls, so I never had the issue where... Um, you know, I was like trying to prepare my boys for something, you know, religiously and not my girls. I'm done. My, my daughter is the one who memorized Quran. I don't, you know, my sons, inshallah, they'll do it too. But, you know, I, I think um, uh, that has really helped me to see how to enable and empower my daughters. That has really changed me actually having daughters as the oldest children. But I'm worried about the sons because when we raise everybody totally the same, and I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. You should in terms of like your responsibilities and stuff, then how then do we prepare our sons for the level of natural leadership and responsibility that the husband is supposed to have, at least traditionally, Islamically speaking, from, a, from that standpoint? Um, because there are such things as gender roles. We have to, we, I mean, we as Muslims, at least when you look at our, our scripture and our values, it's very clear, right? That it's, it's, it's somewhere, but where does that negotiation fall in a new time, new place, new culture? I think that's what remains to be seen. Uh, and so there will always be, I think, um, fairness, but at the same time, an emphasis somehow that you have to step up uh, for our boys uh, and at the same time, learn to be gracious enough to step back a little bit too when, when, uh, when it's not working out. So it's that negotiation, I think, that we have to teach. Oh, for sure. I, I totally agree with you. I think um, that comes through parenting. 
right? Like that comes through them seeing what's going on in the household, right? And how they're so much of what we believe and know about relationships is what we see growing up. So when they see that play out with their parents, um, you know, within our own household, my husband and I both work, but me demonstrating that even though we both work and maybe equally contribute to the household, he's still the Amir and, and having real conversations about that. And it helps in our house because our sons are the, the teenagers, the older ones. And I, and I keep telling them that, you know, you are like the next in line. If something happens to me and Baba, like you have to have responsibility and really pushing that. Um, but yeah, I think modeling is a big part of that. When you when you're raising them in the same way, I love that you both brought up this element of like raising sons to be leaders, and I think inshallah we'll have you guys back for a podcast just on that because it's totally a whole another discussion that we need to have. And but it does tie into this discussion, right? How do we raise young Muslim boys into becoming the right kind of household leader, and how do we raise Muslim women to be? I don't want to use the cliche terms of like strong, independent women, but kind of while having the cognizance, the awareness of what uh, what Islamic leadership, uh, husband leader, husbandly leadership looks like and how it doesn't reflect badly on us and how we can also graciously acknowledge it and accept it and work with it without it detracting from who we are. Um, because that's another sentiment that impacts a lot of these marital discussions, right? Like, oh, if I recognize that the man is the leader, I'm going to be trampled all over because that's what I saw growing up. Um, if I recognize the husband as the meat of the household, what does that say about me? Why am I subservient? Why am I not given that same level of authority or power? And there's, again, it's a lot of it is rooted in, in valid fears because of what has been seen. Um, but there's no there's no parallel discussions going on for both men and women on like what that looks like in a healthy way we all pretty much see the unhealthy things and um and there are those of course unfortunately the loudest voices on social media as always being the ones who are exerting like very unhealthy models of what that looks like and because these discussions aren't being had within like every muslim home or in you know tarbiya oriented ways you have a lot of Muslim bros being like, oh, I'm going to be the leader and I'm going to dictate everything and I have to make sure that she knows it. Uh, and then we end up back in this place of, well, who wants to marry somebody with that perspective as a woman? And as a guy, they don't want to marry a girl who's not going to, you know, give them that. Um, and then we end up back where we begin. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's a whole other podcast yeah, I think, sure. to, to analyze, sure. and I think it's needed. Just to wrap this one up, um, we've had some really great discussion in terms of the element of compromise and flexibility, the way that men and women are raised and the expectations that they have, are they healthy or unhealthy? Um, and a lot of it's been like you know, rooted in frustration because that's what we're seeing, right? Like this is the world that we live in and it's, it is getting tense and it's getting worrisome out there for our kids. Um, but in terms of something that we can say is positive, what are positive developments that you guys would consider in terms of the whole Muslim marriage scene and discussions? Um, I, I really love, I, I love working with couples in two settings. Um, I mean, I love couples work even when it's challenging, but number one, where like premarital situations, when they're trying their best to learn um, and preempt any conflict or any potential bad situations by just full learning and broadening the horizons and i think like, that's beautiful that's really beautiful and we can have some great conversations around that and and do some real self-discovery and then also when couples are i just you know there's there's so much you know things that we can say about like we've been talking about for the past hour but you know every uh, there's uh, what i'm trying to say is that everybody is more focused on mental health these days and i think that that's a great thing so being more quote unquote woke and and knowing more about themselves and knowing what they need to know is a really great place to be. And I don't think we were even there 20 years ago when I got married in the same way that we are now. It can go to a bad place sometimes, but for the most part, it's great because couples are coming in and saying, hey, how can I be different? Like, what can I learn? What, what am I doing wrong here? Um, and I love working in those two situations that number one, where they want to learn and number two, they're willing to learn where they're like, you know, there's more than I need to know about myself. And I think that's a great place to be right now.
Shachad Abdullah, how about you? I think, uh, I guess the positives, I mean, throughout all of this kind of uh, the negative impacts on marriages, I think the one positive that I'm seeing is that um, there are a lot more ways to address dissatisfaction in a marriage. So people in the marriage, whether it's the husband or the wife, can look for solutions to try to address what they're not happy about. Um, and there are ways, for example, to address abuse in ways that were not possible before. Um, there are ways to address certain types of marital conflicts. So I think it's more like what what has happened in the field, you could say, of marriage to to try to improve the lives of people. They have more options as well in terms of in a marriage, how they want to negotiate that marriage and try to live a happy life or even dissolve that marriage. Um, and so I think that I think that um, you're seeing a lot less of a tolerance for really, really toxic situations to have to continue for cultural reasons um, or, or uh, the idea that there's no help out there. So it's more like what the kind of like the field of marriage has has uh, enabled for people to not necessarily just suffer silently. Um, for 40, 50 years of marriage, but rather really get the solutions to try to work things out. And I've noticed as well that because men and women have both have access to those resources as well, that it creates um, something where you know, no one's really, I mean, you don't have to be stuck as like, like in previous generations. You can really try to um, find solutions. And there are a lot more open discussions happening as well, um, you know, for men and for women as, uh, you know, to, in terms of how to address those problems and live a happier life. Those are great examples, and I totally concur. Um, whether it's you know premarital counseling or you know during marital counseling, um, and that awareness, that awareness is so important. I'm, I am really grateful that Alhamdulillah we have so many uh, other scholars and organi Islamic organizations that are doing this work, whether it's Khalil Center or Canadian Muslim Counseling or others. Um, so I do want to say Jazakum Khair to both of you for joining us today. I think we could talk all day, every day about these topics because of everything that we see. And of course, you two in particular, um, in your particular fields and experiences. Uh, but we will wrap up with this for now. Um, and inshallah, we'll plan future episodes. I definitely want to do the one about raising sons as Qawam and raising daughters to recognize what Qiwama is. I think that would be great. Um, but in the meantime, again, JazakAllah Khair, this is truly a wonderful discussion, and I am positive that our listeners have benefited as much as I have from this. So, Barakallahu Fikum for joining us today. Fikum, JazakAllah Khair for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Mayakum, thank you for having us. And to our listeners, let us know what you thought of this episode, share your questions, your comments, your suggestions for upcoming episodes on this topic, and stay tuned for the next episode. Jazakumullah khair, wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Hey everyone, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and follow us online on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram on our handle Muslim Matters. And check out our site daily at muslimmatters.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next one, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.